Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. I'm Nick. And I am the mighty Thor. Oh, no. With my powerful weapon of Stormbreaker. Here to talk manga with you all today. I listened to a, a podcast hosted by Thor. Sure. That's what that's what's gonna bring in the views. It is. This is what Barely. we're here for. We're here Thor. That's what we're here, Thor. That's I need to brand better. Would not listen to a podcast where he just kept on making Thor puns. Not. Are you sure? <laughs> Would it make you pretty sure Thor in your feelings? You'd have Thor feelings about it? Yeah. Yes. Stormbreaker, Nick! <laughs> yes, well, I'm the God of Thunder, and I say you'll listen to me or I'll zap you or something. What may have sounded like uh, a child's toy made of plastic falling to the ground was actually Stormbreaker, made of the last Uru of a dying star and forged in the flames of a space station where Peter Dinklage is a giant. Yeah. That is, that is an accurate description of what happens in that scene. I will be... Uh, what scene? Uh, I'm sorry, that is an accurate description of events that occurred Thank during you. the Infinity War. Yes. Well, I, I want to be clear. I'm not Marvel Thor. Now, I may okay. be uh, wearing sunglasses and rather comfortable attire and wielding Stormbreaker, much like the beloved character Fat Thor from uh, Avengers Endgame, but I'm just Thor from mythology. Just in general. Just in general. Okay. I may have some questions to ask you about things that you fucked then um, and things that have, you know, birthed you was and it, such. Because... Was it Jotunheim, the realm of the Frost Giants? No, I'm talking, like, not figuratively well, talking. Well, my mean... knowledge of Thor... The history is pretty limited beyond that. You know, a lot of Medes shared at Valhalla and so forth. Uh -huh. I only played a little bit of Smite, so I don't really remember all of the lore. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much manga to talk about today, so I'm just going to move past all of this. By the way, I did read some of Tokyo Red Hood. Uh, I stopped reading it. Um, there was a little girl who um, had sex with a guy and uh, imagined being torn apart by a wolf thing. And uh, so I saw a naked 11 year old whose guts were hanging out and I was like, I'm done. So just general like request for everyone out there. If you want me to read a manga, please make sure there's no naked 11 year olds in it first. That's I, I, I read 93 plus chapters of Nymphet's Kodomo no Jikan for you guys. You don't need to recommend any more Lolicon series. I don't care if it's incidental. I don't care if it's not the point. No more naked 11 year olds. That's that because if I get one, I'm just going to say, like, yeah, there's a little naked, naked 11 year old on this, so I stopped reading it. And that's going to be it, you know? So, um, unless someday I get crazy and I'm like, hey, let's read Elfin Lead or something like that, then no, no more. Um, I'll go ahead and announce ahead of time the last manga we're covering for Halloween month is actually going to be Chainsaw Man. And that's going to be our catch up. So, yay. 
Yes, I, I have a letter from Chris who left this because he knew that I was going to go down. I don't have it with me because uh, props are not you lost my it. strong suit. Unless you're talking about the mighty Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. In which case, I have that verily right here. Uh, he basically says uh, that was a mistake to have recommended that series and uh, suggested instead uh, recapping the much-beloved 90s movie uh, Mouse Hunt, where Nathan Lane and another guy... <laughs> <laughs> Another guy. I don't. Thor doesn't remember exactly who was in it. Uh, they try to catch a mouse, and it eventually ends with them uh, making a, a mouse yawn factory or something, food yawn, something like that. With cheese, but but didn't they have Charlotte's... a peanut butter and jelly one or something like that? Right. They did have. They took their father's old string factory, and they used it to create. Uh, uh, novelty foods. Yes. So perhaps instead of reading the story of the young girl being disemboweled, uh, you could watch that instead. I'm sure yeah. it's on Netflix. Probably have have, have a more fun time watching uh, Nathan Lane and Lee Evans is his name. Uh, chase this little incredibly intelligent mouse around. Uh, and eventually caused their entire mount mansion to collapse because they tried to drown it by pumping a bunch of water into the walls. Which is not a good idea. No. Anyway, we have a lot of manga to talk about, despite the fact that we uh, aren't talking about Tokyo Red Hood any further than what I talked about. So, let's do it. My Hero Academia. Chapter number 247, Status Report. But Nick, the, don't you mean yes. Status uh, Report? I'm going <laughs> to go Stormbreaker. over there and hurt you. No man who says such awful puns could possibly be worthy of wielding the owner. This isn't Mjolnir, this is Stormbreaker, made of the Uru last dying star, forged space station by a giant Peter Dinklage. The fact that you call him a giant Peter Dinklage is very suspect to me. I told you, I'm not the Marvel Thor, they're very different. So there's a literal giant Peter Dinklage in space who forges hammers and axes and stuff? Yeah, just this one. He may have done them before. But just I, that one. But I believe Thanos broke his hands. <laughs> this is very... Also, there's a Thanos in Greek mythology. This is very close to... For someone who says he's not the Marvel I'm Thor. not the Marvel Thor, but uh, I recently did get done doing an adventure with Tony Stark. <laughs> I feel like I would have heard of the actual Tony Stark, considering he's a billionaire. <laughs> Could be a different one. Different one. Okay. Could be a different one. You probably haven't read all of the adventures of Thor. Marvel Thor or you Thor? Me Thor. Marvel okay. Thor. I mean, isn't even that big of a deal? I definitely haven't read all of Marvel Thor. So Of course. It's too much. It's expensive. Let's stop talking about manga, Nick, and let's talk about the high prices of the American comic book industry. Uh, why is this relevant? It's egregious. 
Okay. All right, now we can talk about manga. We talked about the high prices, and now we can talk about All right, cool. Great, great. Thank you. Yes. You're welcome. I'm so tired. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, all right. The chapter of my Herculamia basically comes down to Endeavor going to the three people that uh, he is taking on as uh, his um, temps and uh, saying, "Hey, what's your deal?" And they tell him their deal. That that is what happens in this chapter. Uh, he asks them what they need to master, how they need to improve, and what they need to learn. And uh, they just kind of go down the line from Deku to Bakugo to Todoroki, uh, saying what they're trying to get out of this uh, hero learning course thing. And uh, Deku says that he wants to be able to control his power uh, and actually move around properly. He also explains the black cord uh, quirk that he has recently unlocked. and he get, launches into one of his typical long-winded, very quick, mumbly explanations. Uh, and Endeavor actually follows it along with it pretty damn easily. Uh, and he says something interesting, which is, you've suffered due to your quirk, so you are one of us. Hmm. So perhaps this has to do with the whole thing with the... Uh, genetic experiments with the uh, Shoto and such if he has suffered due to his own quirk. Uh, Deku is confused by his comment and it's never really explained or anything like that. Uh, so he talks to Bakugo instead. And uh, he says that he has come to figure out what he can't do uh, because he his quirk is very useful. It's a very straightforward ability, but it's very strong and allows him to do pretty much everything, but he has learned from Deku's example that having that strong quirk doesn't make him the strongest person. Uh, His goal is to surpass the number one, and thus he has come here to find out what it is that he's missing. So Endeavor's like, all right, let's get going, uh, and starts to lead them out. But uh, Shoto says, what about me? And Endeavor's like, well, you're here to master Flashfire. I know that already. Uh, But he says that he kind of clearly has had this prep. He's like, no, 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 dad. I want to tell you this thing so that you you know what's up. So that you know you you don't control me, but I kind of want... Shut up. I had this speech prepared and you will listen. I've been practicing this for the past two weeks. You're not taking this from me, goddammit. I didn't practice in front of the mirror for nothing. So, uh... Todoroki says that uh, he has basically opened his eyes more recently as a result of uh, being alongside of Bakugo and Deku. Uh, And he says that the man that he admires is the one mom and I watched on the TV back then. And as a fucking hero, in order to become a man worthy of the title, I came here of my own free will. I'm using you for my own reasons, so I'm sorry this isn't going to go how you want, number one. Let's stop the father-son crap in front of my friends. So... Pretty straightforward, just says in front of everyone, I don't respect you as a parental figure. You're the strongest hero, and I'm going to get get and I'm going to use that, but fuck you still. <laughs> so Endeavor actually looks pretty upset by this for a brief moment. Um, but he remembers the stuff that Todoroki had said before the last time that their entire family met up together. And uh 
he thinks to himself that he had thought that Shoto was willing to uh, open his heart to me. And he's like, wow, I was a real idiot for thinking that. Um, but he's like, all right. And they head out to go on patrol. And uh, he says that there are three things that a hero tends to specialize in rescue, evacuation and battle. Uh, and normally when a hero sets up their agency, they emphasize either rescue or battle, but his agency does everything. Uh, so he gives them some pretty straightforward, but general advice. Like you've got to be able to know your own territory very, very intimately so that you can pick up on even the smallest, uh, disturbance. You've got to get to the scene faster than anyone. You've got to keep damage to the minimum. And he even says, if civilians get close, blast some heat to make them back off. You know, set something on fire. That way they'll know to stay away from you. Uh, and he says, but that's just your starting point. You've got to keep all that in mind. You've got to act very quickly. And you, the difference between uh, learning at UA and learning out here at UA is it's effort that matters. Out here, it's experience. And you need a mountain's worth. So your job here is to conquer the experience barrier. So this winter, show me that you can just once beat a villain faster than me. And that's the end of the chapter. It's pretty short. Uh, it's like literally only like 13 pages long this week. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool little character chapter for several different characters uh, getting a lot of development. So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of seeing that last week's kind of odd. Here's where everyone's at chapter is maybe just there to sort of push us to the idea that we're not going to be bouncing around other things that are focused from here on in, at least for the, the short term, is these three characters, which I think honestly is probably a good thing. Uh, while I always appreciate my hero like featuring more characters and developing them, like these are the three that we kind of want to see, I guess, the most of, or at least have been given the most reason to be the ones we see the most of. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this develops. <laughs> all right we're gonna move on from there to boruto number Nick, 39 don't you mean boruto i do not at all nick let's sing the classic thor song da 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 it's from the movies nick but i'm not affiliated once again i'm not affiliated <laughs> with the movies but you do know the thor theme song from the movies correct no well, that. Why? Because I don't know the Thor theme song from the movies. Are you insinuating the Thor music isn't the most iconic part of the MCU? The Thor music isn't even the most iconic music from the Thor movies. I'm going to have to have some strong words with my agent. Yeah, with with Iron Maiden. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> it's uncalled for. Boruto, number 39. Proof. Uh, so this took a different direction than I was really expecting. Obviously, last time Naruto had been captured, Kawaki reacted to this because his little artificial hand popped off because he was no longer in contact with Naruto's chakra. And oh, symbolically, the portrait of Naruto fell to the ground and then the glass shattered. Oh, no, he's in trouble. Uh, Sarada shows up uh, just at that moment, 
it's a very odd little detail because like as she's like urgently getting inside, she pauses to take her shoes off. Like, you got to be polite when stepping into someone's home. Obviously, I know it's a whole like thing in you know Japanese culture in general. Oh, take off your shoes and stuff like that. But it's just a odd little thing. It's like, oh no, something. There's there's trouble. Is there? No, this is oh, okay. It's very relevant across. I remember once uh, Captain America was fighting alongside me, and we transported ourselves back up to Asgard. He didn't take his muddy boots off, and the Rainbow Road was just filthy for months. <laughs> Did you take your boots off? No, I don't need to. I'm the almighty Thor. <laughs> I, I, imagining I, I hold my mighty weapon into the air of Stormbreaker and lightning <laughs> crashes down and it cleans me sometimes. Like in, I, Again, I'm not the Thor from the movie, but in Endgame when lightning crashed down and his beard got all braided and everything like that. Sometimes thunder cleans. Sure. <laughs> To the imagining Thor be like, I don't need to wipe my shoes and just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of Everything's fine. God, yeah. <laughs> that mud was already there. Kawaki is non responsive to Serata when she's trying to ask what's happened. Uh, Boruto and Mitsuki show up at that moment. Mitsuki's like, Yeah, yeah I get to do something. Um, kind of. Kind of, a little bit. Uh, before anything can happen, suddenly a shadow stretches out and snags Kawaki and Shikamaru arrives with some guys. Uh, and so Shikamaru basically reports what has happened uh, according to the information that they have, uh, that the enemy had appeared and then disappeared along with the Hokage. The and so he's like, you were here, right, Kawaki? You've got to explain to us what happened. Uh, he has... One of the guys with him, apparently named Tasuki, uh, erect a barrier around the block, the house, the yard. I don't know. It includes Naruto's house inside of it, and it's not especially big. That's all that I know. Uh, and this way, they've all been sealed inside of it, so Kawaki can't get away. Uh, and he also says that it will thwart any enemy enforcements. So... Uh, he has the men go and search the house for any traces of Naruto and for the enemies that encroached upon the village. Uh, then he releases Kawaki from the Shadowbind Jutsu, but he's like, you know, we've got you, you know, inside the barrier. You can move around as you like, and I'll, you know, follow Naruto's wishes in that regard. But he basically, over the course of the conversation, pretty quickly says like, you know, I've still, I still don't have a reason to trust you. I have not trusted you since the moment I laid eyes on you. And so I'm not convinced that you didn't have anything that you didn't. Uh, I'm not convinced that you did not have something, yes, to do with uh, what happened and why the Hokage is missing. Uh, and Kawaki does actually say what happened. He says, yeah, Jigen came here and, and, and uh, took him and stuff. And they're like, oh really sure so they just what used you know they just teleported away it's really weird and i don't have any you know evidence either way but you know i'm following my gut and i don't trust you uh and he says that without naruto present he's placing kawaki under house arrest uh at least until they obtain proof that kawaki is innocent which 
fair enough. Boruto objects to this, but Kawaki's just like, I mean, okay, it's better than going to jail. <laughs> fair enough, my boy. Uh, Kawaki looks over at the artificial hand, and then we cut away to bearded guy whose name I've momentarily forgotten. I know he's important, but I've forgotten it. So, oh well. Uh, he's part of Kara. He's got the beard. I know. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it now, too. Schmeggy? Schmeggy? Sure, Schmeggy. Schmeggy, Schmeggy Johnson? <laughs> Is there a Schmeggy uh, in Kara? <laughs> so, he's looking over the village, and he's trying to figure out what has happened himself, because he doesn't know how the fight between Jigen and Naruto went. But he's thinking, like, okay, there's no way that Naruto beat Jigen. He's too strong. But And even if, uh, you know, Sasuke showed up, they still wouldn't have beaten him. But Jigen hasn't come back for Kawaki, so maybe it's because he can't. Maybe he has expended so much chakra that he had to go back to base to recharge. In which case, this could be a chance for me to take down Jigen. And so he goes back to base to go and uh, at least see how things are right now. And sure enough, Jigen has returned to their base in order to recharge. And he's basically hooked up to like a giant battery. Um... And they flat out say, like, yeah, you nearly used up all of your chakra to in that battle. Uh, and he admits that he kind of got carried away trying to take on Sasuke and Naruto and doing as much as he did. Um, and this does also confirm the suspicions that Naruto and Sasuke had that they're like, yeah, it's just not worth him having to kill us uh, at this point. Uh, but Jigen is happy. Uh, despite the fact that he wasted so much chakra because of Kawaki's development, which they believe to be because uh, he is in Boruto's presence. Uh, and they, and Jigen theorizes that because Kawaki has progressed so much, Boruto's must be developing as well. And he says they'll likely both become powerful Otsutsuki. A gigantic divine tree shall grow huge enough to devour all life on the planet. But he says that, you know, everyone's wishes will be granted. Uh, yeah, good idea. Kill everyone, but you get, you'll get what you want. It's cool. Don't worry. You'll get to... Maybe the subway will start putting ninth meatballs on subs. He's like, you got damn right, Jigen. <laughs> this shit's going subar. Fubar. The smoking glasses beardy guy, whose name is Amado, uh, when Jigen says this about everyone getting what they want, he stares over at Delta and Amado's like, I'm counting on it again. It's like, that's creepy. What the fuck are you imagining? <laughs> okay, we cut back to Naruto's house. Boruto still continues to argue with Shikamaru over the arrangement. Kawaki feels guilt over uh, what has happened to Naruto. Um, and he remembers the stuff that Naruto had told him and the assurance that he gave him and stuff like that. Meanwhile, of course, Jigen was a huge dick to him, saying, like, you're nothing, you're empty, you're a vessel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Kawaki starts to kind of, like, hyperventilate a little bit, and then he says, he just asks aloud, why was the Hokage so kind to me? Why is he willing to look me straight in the eye? Why? And Sarada basically knows what he's talking about, because, like, yeah, I mean, he looks at you as if you're family. And there have been times I wondered how much better my life might be 
if the Lord Seventh were my dad. I was jealous of Boruto and annoyed at his constant griping, his ignorance of being so blessed. But you see, to Lord Seventh, everyone in the village is family. That's who he is, and you just feel safe in his presence. It's nice to get a little bit of confirmation that Serata still got those parental issues she's working through, that things weren't magically fixed after her miniseries. And she's like, oh, yeah, dad's great. He's like, no, no, the Hokage is still always the one who's there for me and the one I consider to be a father figure. Because even after that, dad just went on another fucking mission. <laughs> uh Boruto continues to argue with Shikamaru until one of the men <laughs> comes out. And he's holding the vase that Kawaki has fixed. And he's like, it was displayed prominently on the Lord Seven's desk. Could it be a ninja tool for cursed jutsu? <laughs> and Boruto just goes and snatches away from him. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why do you think so? <laughs> Are you stupid? But he's actually looks really happy that Kawaki actually went to do all the trouble of fixing it like he asked for. It. And Kawaki's like, it's still not completely fixed. There's a hole in it. Uh, and Boruto's like, see, Kawaki went to all this trouble of fixing it. Do you still think he's a spy? <laughs> and I kind of want to feel like Shikamaru should have just said, I mean, if he wanted nobody to be suspicious of him, then, yeah, he'd want to be on good terms with everyone. So. I guess he would do that. <laughs> it's it's sort of like half the chapter is just Boruto being like, well, this minor thing proves he couldn't be a spy. And Shikamaru's like, I'm not really saying he's a spy. I'm just saying we have to be careful because we don't know right now. The Lord Seven's completely gone. I thought maybe being in this household, you'd kind of understand precautions, but just like, like it's not like we arrested him or anything like that. Like he's, He's not in ch chains or anything like this. Like, I don't know why he really had to keep making a bigger deal of this with every passing second. Also, I want to point out that Serata went to all the trouble of, like, taking her shoes off before checking on Kawaki and everything. Here, Boruto sees that this guy has Himawari's vase, and he just zoom, zoom right in. No pause whatsoever, tracking mud everywhere. <laughs> he just kicks up dirt. He starts punching couches over. He's like, Fuck you! Dad's not here! I'm gonna break this microwave. Uh, so, um, but at that moment, uh, Kawaki's just like, look, Sparta, you're not helping or anything. And all of a sudden, uh, the artificial hand vooms to life, and he's like, I can sense Lord Seventh's chakra. And he attaches the arm back onto himself and he's like, oh, my God, it's functioning. That means that he's not dead. So maybe he's just he was just unconscious and knocked out for a little while. So uh, they're like, yes, this is proof that he's alive. Uh, and in fact, he senses the Hokage through a chakra link. So he starts to activate karma and says to Boruto to work together with him. And together they conjure up a little portal in the middle of the air. And so they're like, with this, you know, I, I'm, I'm connected to him. So I know where he is. So, and, but unfortunately, and he's like, you know, I understand why Jigen chose me. I'm like him. We're on the same wavelength. So I hate that. But that also means I've got the same abilities that he does. So he's able to use this to go where Naruto is. And so he turns to everyone and says, let's go rescue Lord Seventh. And Boruto's like, yeah, 
They start to step forward, and Chikamaru's like, nope, snags all of them with his shadow. <laughs> He's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> One, you still haven't proved yourself, yourself to not be a spy. And two, you're not going anywhere. Calm down and think about what you're going to do. But Kawaki just extends his karma hand forward and sucks up the jutsu so that they can get out of it. He's like, come on, let's go. Uh, and Mitsuki grabs Boruto and Sarada, steps through the portal. Kawaki starts to follow after and he says, hey, you just need proof, right? So I'll go get it for you. And they step through the portal and they show up in the wasteland where the weird urn containing Naruto is. But... There's another member of Kara waiting there for him. The big guy with the big the, mustache and beard. The big guy. Ah, I, hate, I hate bullies. <laughs> he just like talks in, in weird self-motivational stuff that he just stole from other self-motivational books. <laughs> He's that's what he does. He, he read The Secret. It changed his and life. So he's super smart now. Yep. I read one book every month. <laughs> the secret over okay. and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when they were trying to pump up Ryback and they, so Cole would like, you know, talk about the weird, like stuff that he would do the amount that he would work out each day, the amount he would eat each day. And then one week it was like Ryback to keep his mind hungry. will read one book a month. <laughs> it's, not a lot. <laughs> I was like, it's like, it's relatively manageable, especially when every month that book is a collection of Garfield comics. <laughs> Just like me when I was a kid getting that Pizza Hut uh, uh, pan pizza for the the book it deal or whatever it was. You had to put like, you had to read a bunch of books over the summer. And I was like, you know, if you just don't put Garfield at the front of it, you just put the actual like collection number and title. No one really knows. They're like, I mean, she reads a lot of I know books that are fat, th- fat puns. <laughs> I know that if you get, if you are reading like, I don't know, war and peace length books each month. Yeah, it sounds pretty impressive. But if you're reading, I don't know, just like little novellas, then it's just. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, you could you could read like a science fi- like you could just read some like short book in like a week without really pressing yourself for it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh Whatever. Anyway, gonna be doing a Ryback voice whenever this guy fights next time. So, uh, yeah. Boro, member of Kara. Feed me more! Feed me Thor! Feed me Thor! Gross. So that was the chapter this week. Uh, A couple of nice moments uh, here and there. Uh, I thought it was alright. It was kind of weird to see things play out. And also, Mitsuki's there too. (laughs) He literally does one thing in this chapter, which is like, come on, guys, I'm just kind of pushes two guys through the portal. Yeah. But like, I liked Serata's little conversation with the Kawaki. Um, I like that Chikamaro brings logic into things and is like, I have to do be cautious here as, you know, the thinking guy. And I like that Kawaki was just like, well, there's a person out there who cares about me and uh, I'm going to be reckless as a result of that. So there you go. Yeah, no, I, I think this was a solid chapter. I kind of like Kawaki continuing to. I don't know, shirk the trends of what I expected. Like, 
it'd be mm-hmm. a much more infuriating chapter if he was the one that was like, what are you talking about? I've done all these things to prove my innocence, but he's the one who's kind of like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand. I get it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I look, I'd be doing the same thing in your shoes, man. I, I totally get it, you know? That's exactly what he says, yeah. And you're like, hey, you know, I kind of appreciate that the that Kwaki's so understanding of the circumstances, so it makes him a lot easier to like. Yeah. And there's Baruto being the aide over there. See, he fixed the boss. <laughs> you can't be suspicious of him. He super glued it back together. A monster wouldn't fix a vase. Maybe, maybe if it were a, a boss fixing monster, yes. <laughs> well, he is a spy, Nick. And speaking of spies. Spy family. Hey. We did it. Worked out perfect. Extra mission two. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly what the logic is for some of these, uh, missions being extra missions, I guess, because they're so separated from the ongoing, uh, thing that, uh, Lloyd is having to deal with, with, uh, his mission, uh, and the progress of the school and stuff like that. It does seem kind of odd that this is an extra mission and the previous chapter, which was all about Anya playing dodgeball was not. But whatever. I guess the idea is that no character progression is happening here, story progression. So, like, mm-hmm. I guess last chapter is meant to be like, hey, Damien and Anya are slowly becoming less enemies and more friends and respecting each other. And this one's just like, I don't know. She got a hole in her butt. Yor gets shot in the butt in this chapter. Uh, we see her at the beginning uh, finishing up a hit. I like how she's just so casual about about stuff, you know, and she's like, yeah, took care of business. I'm going home. Oh, no, wait, I've got to pick up milk and eggs on the way. Uh, but uh, one of the uh, goons that she has seemingly killed is actually still alive, and she aims his pistol at her, and we find out pretty quickly that she was shot in the butt. So not a lethal wound in any way, but her butt hurts it's worth- all throughout this chapter. So we're Nick. Uh, Jay Flugel says that extra missions are released in the physical weekly Shonen Jump magazine and not on the online uh, platform, uh, uh, which gotcha. also goes to explain why there's like a quick recap throughout the chapter about who these characters are and what they can do and stuff like that. The little uh, type. Uh, yeah, the little character intro boxes. Yes. Yeah. You are pulled some great faces throughout this chapter because at which I guess are. I've been shot in the ass chapters, uh, uh, faces rather. I, I did not know that there was an exact expression you could make to convey that you had been shot in the ass, but apparently uh, your demonstrates them in, in this chapter. Uh, you know what? If I had been shot in the ass, that's what my face would look like. I, I completely agree with that. It seems like it'd be really unpleasant. Uh, Anya, of course, knows about this because she can read yours mind, but Lloyd has no idea what's going on because he's just like, oh, no, she's upset about something. Have I I know that this is just a fake marriage, but I'm not making her happy. Maybe I've got to, you know, actually be a better husband for her uh, so that, you know, because otherwise my cover will be blown if I if I don't do that job. Uh, meanwhile, Anya's not really reacting to this. She's just being like, oh, wow. Mama got shot and she's still okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, and Yora seems even more miserable in the morning. Uh, so Lloyd takes decides to go on a date with her. And Yora is really excited about this because, uh, you know, she also wants to have a much more less suspicious family life. So she agrees to it. Uh, she says, I mustn't pass up an opportunity to learn. And Lloyd's like, what the fuck is she talking about? So, yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> uh, 
Anya wants to go too, and Lloyd immediately just like it's it it's a date. We, you're not coming. So instead, he leaves his uh, information uh, contact to take care of her. I forget his name, but they say it during this chapter. They go off on a date. Uh, they're going to go to to get into a car. Uh, and he's like, this is going to be so perfect. I came up with 862 date ideas. But you are like, I can't sit down in the car. It'll hurt my ass. So she decides that they're going to walk instead. And Lloyd's like, damn it. That's 794 of my ideas out the window. Because <laughs> we can't drive anywhere. Uh, Anya turns to her new babysitter and is just like, hey, let's go shadow them. And he's like, all right, that sounds fun. <laughs> so they put on disguises, which are very conspicuous, and start to tail them. And Lloyd is immediately just like, what the fuck are those guys doing? <laughs> he can spot them a mile away. Uh, but they go to a whole bunch of different uh, date places. But, you know, it's like your can't sit down at the cinema, at the club. And she refused to get a massage at the spa. She can't sit down when they go rowing out on a pond. So things are not going well. And both of them are pretty upset that they can't, you know, uh, that they can't have a good time. And finally, they end up going to a fancy restaurant to get some dinner. Uh, Yor is OK because she is able to sit only half on the chair. So presumably. Uh, oh, no, she's not even sitting on the chair. Yeah, she's, she's just tall. hovering yeah. directly above the chair so that her butt wound doesn't get hurt. Um, it seems as though the shadowing operation has come to an end because they are Anya and her babysitter are dressed casually and also Anya is too young to get, to get inside. But at that moment, Anya can read the mind of one of the waiters uh, at the establishment who was actually one of the militants that uh, Yor took out before. He was the lone survivor of it and he vowed that he was going to go straight uh, but he sees that this is a sign since the same hired killer who killed all of his companions is now showed up at the restaurant so he's like I've got to I've got to get revenge this is you know, I've got to avenge the spirits of my fallen brothers and Anya of course senses that her foster mother is in danger and uh, so there's a great imagination sequence that she has where she imagines the guy running up to attack her and she's like, oh no! And then Yor kicks the guy and she's like, oh yeah! And then Lloyd realizes who Yor is and she's like, oh no! <laughs> it's even more so is like how exaggerated her fantasy gets where it's them like, oh well, you know, like, you're a spy? Well, I can't do that. Our family's more and more. And then like a tiny text, also, let's abandon on you. <laughs> <laughs> let's just screw her over specifically yeah like she just as a child would like oh god the worst case scenario so um she decides that uh, they've got to protect uh your uh and we see that the first thing that the waiter uh tries to do is just squeeze out a, a blowfish into a glass and act like it's a glass of wine <laughs> seems kind of obvious, but your drinks it and it actually helps her <laughs> because the toxins and the poison, I guess, numb her pain a little bit. And since she's a hitman, she's got a really high tolerance of poison, so she doesn't suffer any of the ill effects. 
And also the guy did a really bad job of, I guess, mixing the poison. So there you go. Anya uh, sneaks through the air vents, uh, spots the storeroom and immediately goes down a vent into it uh, because he is she is reading the mind of the waiter who is planning and whipping up an improvised bomb. And <laughs> he like is reciting his head exactly how to do it. But then he suddenly slips in a bunch of olive oil on the floor uh, and then <laughs> picks up a jar which happens to be the bomb that Anya has just made by following his instructions and it explodes right in his face. But of course he's alive because it's a comedy. Yeah. Uh, and Anya comes out. She's wearing like a, I don't even know where this came from. She's wearing a cat suit and sunglasses. She was wearing it in the air vendor earlier, but she's wearing this now and pointing some sort of pistol at him. I think it's just a toy gun. And she's just like, listen up, Red Circus man. Don't you ever go near my ma I mean that lady ever again. Got it? Stop doing bad guy stuff forever. Go home and make Catherine happy. And so the guy's like, oh, my God. She even knows about the woman that I love. Uh, it's like she could see right through me. I've got to get out of here. There's no I'm going to go live a normal life. Anya saves the day. And uh, so the date went pretty well overall. Um. And uh, so the night ends with your thanking Lloyd for the night. And uh, she says that when I was young, I was always so busy looking after my brother that I never had much time for fun. So today really meant a lot to me. And I hope we can do it again sometime. Parentheses, when I'm not seriously injured. <laughs> and the chapter ends on a joke of uh, the poison has worn off the next day. So she's not in nearly as good a mood anymore. But it was a fun little chapter. I do actually really hope that this... Uh, Running in the proper magazine encourages more people to go to check out Spy Family because it's a really fun series. Absolutely. It's good times. Didn't really go exactly the way I imagined it would, considering this was, you know, the chapter where Lloyd and Yor go on a date because it was an Anya chapter, but whatever. It's also oddly refreshing that it's an entire chapter about Yor's butt and it's not like weird or creepy at the slightest. Like in my mind, I was like, not a single fan service. He shot. No, nothing like that. All right. Good times. Uh, let's talk about Eden zero, Nick. Cause we have two chapters to talk two about. Chapters. So we're going to go through this real quick. So starting with chapter 65, the swords woman incapacitated, but um, don't you mean Odin zero? Verily, Nick, drink with me in celebration of the cause. Clink. Finally, you, Nick, shall be the beta ray bill to my Thor. <laughs> Which what is to say, honor. you will be a horse-faced man who cameos on the side of a building because you're just too weird for our universe. <laughs> no one's One there. day. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I actually didn't realize there were two chapters of this at first. And I realized because Ninja X3i mentioned something to me about it. And I was like, oh, uh, Shit. which is not shocking because when you go to the next chapter, you're like, I guess this chapter did technically happen. Um, <laughs> this one's about Hamor and she's like, oh, there's a big battle going on. I best, I, I guess I better participate, but she's, she's too weak because she's been crying and being sad a lot. So she tries to get up. And then uh, Mask Guy shows up. 
and he's like, ha, those whip effects are starting to finally take in. So I guess the idea is that they're really, 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 really slow acting poisons. Or I was under the impression that Homura was like crouching in front of Valkyrie for like at least an hour. So (laughs) like my mind's like, oh, she should just be she's just sore. Or should I say Thor? Uh, she's just sore from everything. But I mean, maybe it's him just being really happy with himself and trying to take credit for it. But oh yeah, this is my slow acting drugs. Yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Whatever. Uh, so he's like, boom, hey, it's me. Oh, you Kuranai's daughter? Yeah, you know what? I think I can see a resemblance. And then he starts taunting over Valkyrie's body, talking about how she was really, you know, basically just being a weird creep to her, being like, oh, yeah, she was a fine woman. I really wanted to break her. She was special. And uh, it eventually ends with him breaking her head straight off the corpse. And more. I was hoping I was hoping one that this would happen because it would have actually you know, been really striking. Uh, but I was hoping that it would be more of a big deal that he just rips her head off. Like, I wanted, like, a full-page spread of this moment to really hammer home what an awful act this is. And, yeah, I know the entire page is dedicated to the moment of it because it's showing Homer's reaction and his reaction stuff like that. But I feel as though it would have been more effective just to show, like, <laughs> so. Yeah, there, there, you could have been more graphic with it to really, tr- like, hammer home the horror of it. But we see the expression that Homer has, and obviously he's very upset. Uh, and... She's trying to get up, but Mask Guy's like, you can't move. You're you're fucking all paralyzed out again. So Homura summons a shit ton of swords using, quote, her ultimate secret technique, Odin, Sh- Odin Strike. That's not. Hold on. I need to contact my family. We need to get a cease and desist on Eden Zero just using my father's name like that. How dare thee? Um, she fires all the swords, uh, but it doesn't work because uh, he whips some away, basically. And he's like, I guess they're a real force to be wicked, reckoned with. But I'll just tie you up because that's how you beat Ether. Yay, bondage. Yeah. Uh, I We're going to see more of it going forward, I presume. Uh, so he ties her up real quick. And all the swords disappear, and he's taunting her because it's like, ha, that's what you get. All your swords are gone. You can't make new ones. I'm going to really enjoy breaking you. It's going to be great. And she's like, how dare you? A, ju- a monster like you deserves the judgment of my mentor's sword. And he's like, huh? And he looks over, and Valkyrie's sword's gone. And he realizes that the reason she made all those swords was to knock it into the air. And he's like, but where did it go? And then it fucking falls from the sky and just fucking murders him. This dude is dead. Pretty sure he's actually dead. <laughs> he should be, because holy shit, does it look brutal. Uh, it gets the two-page spread that you were probably looking for before, and it's, like, silhouetted, so you just see the blade piercing through him and, like, an enormous thing of blood shooting out. It is pretty brutal. Uh, so he's done. Uh, Valkyrie apologizes because she's like, I needed your help one last time, Valkyrie. And then, uh, Rebecca and Wise, that's their names. They're very important characters. They show up and, uh, free her. And basically she's like, you know what? I have all of you to thank because I had all my friends and I was able to stand and move on. 
and now I continue to move on because I have all of you. Ironic in a chapter in which she does not stand whatsoever. <laughs> it's um kind of disappointing, honestly, that uh, she's like, I'm fine now. There was no real catharsis in this chapter or anything like there was no revelation or anything along those lines. As I mentioned, I went straight to chapter 66 and didn't realize this chapter took place because the entirety of Maskai showing up, Maskai taunting her, Hamora revealing her secret attack, Hamora using her secret attack to use like a special weapon to actually kill the guy, killing him, and then all of her friends showing up and her resolution to move on happens all within the span of a single chapter, which isn't necessarily a problem. You know, it keeps things concise, but sort of a large part of this arc has been like a lot of stuff not feeling like it has the right kind of build up to how cool it should have yes. been. Uh, yes. Which unfortunately continues to be the case in chapter 66. Gravity's gonna crush you. Where Shiki is fighting against Madame Kuranai in her Super Dragoon bot. And uh, I think it's actually the Megas XLR because she's like, I have to kill you. I'll hit this full power button switch like murder the murder everyone button and uh starts shooting lasers and all this sort of stuff and Shiki's like hey uh what are you trying to do i'm dodging all of it she's like ah i just needed to lock on to you now i'm gonna fire the queen nova and it's a gigantic missile so uh shiki's like well i'll just lure it into a wall and like make a last second dodge uh but that doesn't work and i guess will only explode if it hits him but but not like super specifically, as we'll find out in a moment. Uh, so it keeps following him, and he's like, "Oh, so it won't stop till it hits its target." Would have bet if I'm right here, and he's right on top of the cockpit of the uh, the dragoon bot. And Madame Kurt, I was like, "Oh, but if you're trying to dodge that, you know, and let the missile hit me, just realize it won't work because the the weapons that it has can't damage its armor." And Shiki's like, yeah, my fist did. I'm not dodging it. So he just holds an arm out, and he just grabs the missile. And this doesn't explode. And then uh, he puts gravity on it. So uh, I guess Madame Kuranai had just enough money to make sure her entire mech couldn't be manipulated by gravity, but did not put that same money into making sure the missile couldn't be manipulated by it. Um, of course. And then he transfers the kinetic energy of the missile into gravity i'm not sure not <laughs> like, how that works but I was, go ahead. I, like i've ever reading it and being like i don't i mean i guess if gambit can turn kinetic energy into poison gas or whatever then sure whatever <laughs> um he just he, he's like it's just it's just you know it just goes straight through it's energy from here into boom uh, so he does a really strong punch and he breaks the whole robot. So Madame Kurnai has been defeated. Uh, we cut back to the labor district and everybody's really celebrating because all of the monsters shut down. She does, she does, she does say at one point as, uh, Shiki is standing over her, she asks, are you really human? So, yeah. yeah I swear to note that. Yeah. It could very well just be a throwaway line, but I just wanted to make a note of that. I was so. gonna say it feels like a Shiki so cool line, but who knows. Um also he lost his shirt in all of this. So yeah. it's really hard to not be like, hey, Gray showed up in this series. <laughs> um Nino shut down all the Punisher bots. 
Uh, he does good for his. Him. He's a good guy. He does his stupid fucking anime will save the universe line for, please for the love of God, the last time. <laughs> I've never like not even Urkel had to hammer home his different like fucking trademark catchphrases as much as this dude. Like once per chapter, he's got to be like, "Yeah, but anime will save the universe." Uh, all the characters are really, really happy. Hamora apologizes for not entering into the fight sooner, uh, but it doesn't really matter. And then uh, Shiki drops Lady Karanai off at her feet for a confrontation between them. Yes. And that's the chapter. Yep. There's not a lot to this. Like, this is a significant chapter in that the main villain's been defeated. There's a big confrontation that's going to happen. That's the emotional core of this entire arc. But this arc, this chapter didn't feel particularly special or memorable. I feel like there could have Neither been a of these lot chapters more. Did. Yeah, I feel like there could have been a lot more placed in just the general idea of, hey, this big battle is taking place in a labor district, like the destitute quarters of basically everyone on the planet, these people who have suffered. Uh, there's a bunch of wanton random destruction happening about it, but no one really seems to mind it. Uh, there's not any kind of like significant moment where everyone in the entire country feels this like immense sense of relief when she's defeated. Like I just think of the way One Piece would do this kind of chapter, which probably isn't a fair comparison, but it's the way I kind of see it in my mind. And I'm like, I feel like more time would be spent just basking in the defeat of like an oppressive force like this than just kind of three pages worth of everyone being like, hey, we're good now. So maybe we'll get it more, but it just didn't feel very big. Yeah, maybe there'll be maybe this whole confrontation between her and her mother will have some sort of payoff. But it's really weird that like uh, we've kind of gotten. I don't know. There was all this buildup over stuff involving Amora and the the and the her, the like. Big cathartic moment, like you said, was not cathartic. Mm. Um so hopefully the real meat of that is going to be in this, you know, conversation, confrontation, whatever with with Kerr and I. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about Beast Children. Uh, chapter 21, because I have company. Uh, she's you guys doing a good job out there running around tackling people. Yay. Um, and his friend is watching. He's cheering him on. And uh, the captain uh, starts explaining the rules to him. And he's like, why are you suddenly explaining all this to me? He's like, oh, you know, you came out here for this, right? He's like, well, no, I, I was forced to come here by your fanatical manager. And the captain's like, that's not the only reason why you came here. You feel like something's missing in your life, don't you? And you're hoping you'll find that something here. And he's like, no. I mean, like I quit soccer and I'm working part time at grandma's place and I'm I'm just working on my video game backlog. You're wrong. I'm happy. I thought I was, but suddenly I'm not so sure. Basically, he wants to have companionship and play team sports. For Wait a minute. Hold on. So you're suggesting that the cold loner actually just wanted friends all along? <sighs> Interesting. I don't know. Have they done that before? No, I've I'm sure that if Beast Children had, you know, were not on its last legs, especially now that Japan has been knocked out of the Rugby World Cup, uh, that 
this would have probably been a bigger plot point in the series uh, at the time that he eventually joins the rugby team uh, and teams up together with Shishigai and stuff. But uh, whatever. Um, that's the only thing that I thought was really especially significant about this chapter. There is a really weird throwaway moment where where Shishigai helps Yukito to his feet. And Yukito's like, I must admit, he's my rival. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yay, pay off to that character relationship. All right, Samurai 8, Chapter 23. What good will that do you? Uh, so Haichimaru used the super white blade thing to cut through other new samurai's sword. Uh, he admits defeat, and then the guy's like, the shine of the katana has receded, so the white blade lasted only a moment. Um, they're like, wait, he's not completely defeated yet because he's you know hasn't been cut or anything. And the new samurai guy is like, I am resigning from the battle. Bye. Uh, he says that Do he was not after the prize money. Have his name? I'm. Just, I think it got stated last time, but I don't okay. Because I'm like, I'm trying to like this character feels like he was meant to be a very significant character in this series that, but while we're in this kind of like chaos mode yeah. of whether or not this series is continuing or not, he's just kind of shown up as like, I don't think I'm the cool character. I would have been an important rival. <laughs> so he leaves as he leaves. The princess starts explaining to Hachimaro and Anne why princess's prayer is important. Bah, 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 bah. And she says, a princess's prayer makes a samurai stronger. That's why a princess is targeted in battle. So you must be careful of that. And Hachimaru is like, what happens to a samurai who loses his princess? And like, he loses his innate strength. It is like losing half of yourself. You should ask your master about that. And Hachimaru is like, all right. There's, there's all this talk of the princess. Does he not have a princess anymore? And they're like, when you're targeted for attack, your princess will be exposed. Don't let your princess die. Don't let your princess die. This is how samurai work. Don't let your princess die. It it feels like, although this has sort of always been the premise, they're really hammering this home now when it's like, I feel like instead of explaining like 70 fucking different pieces of lore, you could have just created that premise of like, hey, we have to work in combos, but you have to kind of protect someone else. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and just kind of reinforce that as the core idea of the combat in this series. But hey, um, 20 chapters in, still good. Yeah. He asks Hachimaru if he has a purpose for being a samurai, a calling. And of course, Hachimaru does. He you know, made the vow in his father's grave and everything like that. Uh, and the guy says, when he gives up on his calling and his spirit is broken, a samurai loses his heroism and dies. There can be no heroism without demonstrating your calling. If you can no longer keep safe those you wish to protect, you might as well be dead. My word bubbles are coming out of Hachimaru's mouth right now. I don't know why. It's really weird paneling. <laughs> Hachimaru thanks him as he flies off. He turns to Anne and apologizes and uh, he promises to do better. But Anne's like, hey, you don't have to keep apologizing. Nobody's perfect. Besides, remember what I said. This is why you have me. Aw, aren't they sweet? And over on the side, a weird thief guy is like, look who's a cute couple all of a sudden. And I do like that Ryu uh, Ryu's like, they're just like us. No, 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 they're not. No, 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 no. Not gay. Not gay here. No, no. 
Uh, Hachimaru asks why Anne's being so so nice to him, and Anne is like, eh, I can't tell you that. But mentally, she's thinking because Hachimaru is the person who connects her to her brother. Okay. Then we get... <laughs> There's so much in this chapter. There are the next 300 chapters that were supposed to happen worth of story happening in this one chapter. So, um, Hayataro births a mini Hayataro to look after ants. Just how they say. Uh, you could just do that, I guess. Uh, Dharma remembers, I think, supposed, to, I guess, who is his master. Uh, who appears to be a female samurai who, I don't know, is basically like his Yoruichi is what it makes me think of. This kind of, you know, smart talking, uh, badass uh, female instructor kind of character. Uh, and she's, you know, imparting words of wisdom to Dharma and Dharma's like, I look like adult, adult Naruto to match how Hachimaru is kid Naruto. And I'm making the same mistakes that, that Hachimaru does in terms of my impatience and such and so on. Yeah, but he has a gun. He does have a gun. He has a gun and a sword. And, he didn't and a sword him. that seems to have a finger grip in it for some reason. Yeah, you know, so you can, like, you can hold it with just a finger. You can use the rest of your fingers on your phone, but you can still be holding onto the sword at the same time. By the way, deep lore here. Dharma says... It seems that Hachimaru studied hard with that training game I created. Then it was worth the trouble to make it. He was the number one ranked player in the game, so his ability to anticipate the opponent is elite. All he needs is more experience. And we get a little bit more stuff with the new samurai. Who cares? I, so, you know, I... They miss... say that Hachimaru is a true key. No, no, I need to finish this point. Okay. <laughs> new samurai says... I don't know who he is, but he's likely seen more combat than I have. And we get a flash of current Hachimaru to old Hachimaru hooked up to the VR game. And as New Samurai says, that was a battle-tested man. And we've had it implied a couple of times in the past, but this time it is outright stated and stated very bluntly that because Hachimaru was super good at the video game, he knows how to fight because he can strategize as you would in a video game. And we see this put into play in a random no-name trident-wielding samurai who Hachimaru quickly does like a dash around slash and he and the others take out all the remainders of their opponents. And Hachimaru says that if he had been fighting Nanashi instead of this guy, Nanashi would have avoided his attack. What I've learned through these battles is that real fighting is the same as a game. So, there is a level to which you could say somebody is experienced in fighting games and that helps. Because I, there is a lot of intelligence that goes into playing video games, like fighting games, and being and being good at them on a, a, like a super competitive level. A lot of it involves not just having your own reaction speed, but also being able to anticipate what people are going to do and counter it. That's something that you could say, hey, he has this skill and it applies to real life um, and it helps him. It's weird to be like it gave him all these. It makes him. The I best thought that that was oh. where it was going. 
I thought that that was where it was going. Yes. Was just there are certain things that his video game training, certain skills that his video game training gives him that you could build his fighting style around. Yeah. The line that I missed is fucking Daruma just casually dropping. I made the game. I made the game for him so that he could train. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) So. So for those of you 80s sci-fi fans out there, yes, Hachimaru is, in fact, the last starfighter. The video game was made as a training program. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't, it's such a weird piece of lore that, like, Daruma stuck in his cat body was busy being like, all right, it's crunch time, better, <laughs> better get some programs out. Do I want microtransactions or not? No, that'll scare them away, but I do need skins. Kids only play games with skins in them. What if I make a, a loot box? <laughs> that, like, fucking Daruma was just like, I need for honor, but better. I need to make a game everyone will play. And then, like, in the alternate universe where he's, like, reading a newspaper, it's like, nobody likes stupid fighting samurai game. And he's just like, I failed. Damn it, my plan to find the key. <laughs> I failed the universe. He goes out into the office. You're all fired. <laughs> They're like, why do we work for a blind cat guy who can't actually program anything? They're like, it's weird. He keeps saying his end goal is to save the universe, but he's just making. We like, keep showing him. It's just we keep battle royale game. We keep showing him the profit margins that he just like don't care. No time. Put some microtransactions in. Make it more combat sim realistic. <laughs> I need the person who plays this to become the best samurai in the universe. And like, well, sir, shouldn't you just train that individual to do so? No, the video game will teach him all the skills he needs. <laughs> so there you go. There's it, a nomination for the stupidest moment of the year. <laughs> they're like, it wouldn't work if we just had him fight regularly. Because he could get killed in a train exercise. Like, well, technically, sir, the entire combat system of this universe is basically a video game. So you could have him fight the strongest dude in the universe over and over again. It wouldn't kill him. <laughs> Dharma turns and he points his claw. He's like, get out. They're like, sir, you're talking to a potted plant. <laughs> He's facing the wall. He's like, you get out too. You say that to me one more time and I'll cut your goddamn throat out. Sir, that's chalkboard. <laughs> I know what it is. As he, he steps straight out an open window. <laughs> Fuck all this. I'll be in my office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Anyway, the end point of this stupid fucking chapter is that Hachimaru and Ryu and Dharma have defeated all the other samurai in the entire tournament in a really fast montage. They had, like, one named opponent whose name I don't remember in this entire tournament arc, which lasted four chapters. And so now Dharma is turning to Ryu is like, let's continue our training. And, uh, yeah, that's it. They're going to have their rematch now. Hooray. That's Samurai 8. All right. Moving on. I feel bad because I am starting to like Samurai 8 because it's starting to make me actually kind of care about the characters a little bit. But 
it just reeks of so much like, oh, we're just <laughs> everything, everything before it ends. It's one of those things where, you know, like there's world building and lore and stuff. And yes, those are important, but you have to remember that you don't need to dump all of it on the audience at once, because if you do, it gets really boring and clumsy and stupid. So the, the character development stuff we've gotten, hey, it's good. We needed more of it throughout this entire run, though, in order to help balance out how stupid all the lore dump is. All right. Mission Yozakura Family. Mission 9 Investigation. We open this chapter with a mysterious, tall, shaggy-looking man with a hammer. Okay, you don't care. You don't care about that. All right. What are you talking about? Never mind. All right. This is a hammer, Nick. This is the mighty Stormbreaker. It's an axe. Yeah. Well, I guess this end. This end could be a hammer. Could hammer in some good nails like that. Yeah. That's that's what the sound of Uru from the last dying star sounds like. <laughs> Forged to the space station by a giant Peter Dinklage. It's very important you give the entire exposition every time. Home improvement doors go. <laughs> I only so. wish it squeaked. <laughs> That is the sound. <laughs> <laughs> that is the sound that the mighty Stormbreaker makes as it rips enemies in Dwayne. I remember as the great Mad Titan Thanos was preparing to undo the universe. I came down with Stormhammer and I said, I'll kill you. And then it, it spun in the air and landed in his chest. <laughs> and then he snapped his fingers and undid everything anyway. <laughs> Imagine that moment happened and Thor's like, ah, oh, I got him. And he's like, well, that's, the, that's the sound it makes. Oh, no, no, he's stepping. <laughs> <laughs> he had a moment to cut his head off and he was just thinking like, oh, my hammer doesn't make a stupid sound. <laughs> oh, I knew it. Oh, damn it. Snap. <laughs> they go and confront him on his new planet so that I won't miss this time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, they're watching it back later because alternate timeline Thanos is like, ah! and then, <laughs> well, that's the sound it made when I died. He's like, all right, <laughs> didn't really didn't expect it to make that sound. Is this some kind of like comic relief universe? Is this the one with Peter Porker? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Although Howard the Duck is a character in it, he shows up in the final battle. All right. Anyway, the guy with the hammer is just beating up a bunch of thugs in alleyway. Jaw, and they'll continue this conversation at the station. Then he looks at his phone and sees an image of Tayo on there. This chapter opens up, aside from that, at Tayo and Mutsumi's school. Uh, they are recovering from the kidnapping incident. Mutsumi is looking fine, uh, but Tayo is not doing so well. He is recovering from all the stuff that occurred uh, in the events that have happened. His mind and body both need to recover. 
And uh, then the door opens up and the uh, this scruffy looking guy in a trench coat hmm, named Otokayama from the Koizumi police force is here to see Tayo. And so he asks him to go down to this police station with him. And so he does. Uh, and so they go into this interrogation room. Uh, Hotokeyama, I, I need a nickname for this guy. <laughs> That's going to trip me up. Has a laptop. There's a big bottle of water uh, sitting on the table with a couple of glasses. And they are surrounded by trash bags. And uh, so Hotokeyama turns the laptop around, shows an image of Tayo punching Hanao in the face. He's like, yeah, I got this video off the dark web. That's obviously you. Uh, you're getting arrested, but I have some questions for you before I take you into custody. Uh, and he just lists off a whole bunch of stuff that Tayo has done in the manga up to this point, including the stuff that has happened in the school building. Uh, and although he does say like, you know, stuff like hacking traffic signals, destroying a truck, breaking a bridge. Are you, where are you, what are you trying to do? And Tayo's just like, I mean, some of that wasn't me, but eh. Um, but of course, Hadokiyama is like, there's sorry, something odd about name? this. Did you Hidokiyama. say, hi, Lokiyama, my brother Loki, Loki, what are you doing in this series? Nick, you should be Loki. No. Stormbreaker, Nick, who's fallen <laughs> last dude. That's your argument? <laughs> that's, that's all I've got, really. They killed everyone like You gotta, like, give a big, rousing speech to everyone. Like, Listen, everyone, I know that we are outnumbered. Our forces are weak and tired from many battles. We've been forced to our limits, and our reinforcements are not coming. If we do not do this, however, then we will not see the light of day. I know that things may seem hopeless now, but Stormbreaker was forged <laughs> by the last dude. The heart of a dying star. star. The, the space station <laughs> with a giant Benedictus. No, Donna! <laughs> like, I just interrupt other good speeches that are happening. Like, they may take our spirit, but the they may come! When a car of wolves in the age of man falls, when is the, oh, hold on, they're Aragorn. I think you're losing them. So yeah, I'll, I'll good Aragorn, I, I, you're great for a good haircut, but you're terrible at speeches. <laughs> Elves. My axe Actually, was we're no, I can't tell the difference. Don't we're all care. Both. Don't care. It was forced from the last of a dying star. <laughs> In the space, all these words make no sense to them, even the normal ones. <laughs> Who's Peter Dinklage? <laughs> oh, you ever watched Game of Thrones? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Tokiyama wants to know if Tayo's had an accomplice for this stuff, because there's clearly no way that a high schooler could have put off all this stuff alone. Tayo spots something glinting in the wall beside Hotokiyama's head. Uh, and Hotokiyama's like, maybe you're involved with some sort of mysterious underground organization. You know, if you tell me about them, your sentence could be lessened. Uh, and uh, Tayo starts to d deny uh, thing that, that there's anyone assisting him. So he's like, I don't know anything about that. But Hotokiyama is, meanwhile, pouring some water into a glass. He's like, hey, no need to make a rash decision right at this moment. You know, this information might get you acquitted. Why don't you just give it some thought while you drink some water? And he says this while very obviously pouring something into the glass of water. 
And Tayo's like, remembers something that Kyoitro had told him. He's like, is that truth serum? And Tokayama's like, no, it's minerals. It's, um, look, just drink it. It's <laughs> fucking splashed it. into his mouth. <laughs> Fortunately, Tayo came prepared with a water catcher, a little water balloon. You can just keep it in your throat and it'll catch anything that could poison you or stuff like that. So Tayo starts to say, like, I don't know. And Hotokiyama gets his hammer out and smashes the table. He's like, ah, all right. There are lots of evil people in the world who are beyond the reach of the law. And it's my duty to bring the hammer down on them. Uh I see what you did there. Ah, Gotcha, gotcha. But all this noise has caused one of Hotokiyama's garbage bags to rouse. Turns out he's a drug dealer. The drug dealer starts bleeding through the garbage bag. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I punched that guy. Uh, and so he grabs Tayo by the throat and says, there's no need to abide by the law for those who break it themselves. I will inflict on you the pain and suffering that you inflicted on others. If you don't talk, I'll pay a visit to your family at school. So Tayo thinks about Musumi in this moment, but then he has a revelation. He's like, wait a minute, the light in the wall, all, of, all my information and Musumi too. And so he comes to a decision. He grabs Otokiyama by the arm that's grabbing him by the throat and says, I'd never tell you anything. And Otokiyama's like, I look forward to seeing how many strikes it'll take to cloud the look in your eyes. And he swings with his hammer. Tayo manages to jerk his arm down and get himself out of the way. And so instead, Otokiyama smashes through the wall with his hammer, revealing that Kyoichiro was behind the wall listening in using his wires with a cup to his ear and says like, ah, you almost got my score dirty. My scooter. Uh, Tokiyama is like, uh, reveals that, uh, they've been working together. Uh, this was a test pl- placed by, uh, Kyoichiro. Kyoichiro reveals that this is detective Seiji Hotokiyama. I'm just gotta call him Seiji from now on because that's way easier to remember. Uh, Seiji says that, um, police that helps to cover up stuff about the Ozagura family. Um, and so they, they're old friends and they work together on stuff. Although Seiji doesn't appear to like Kyojiro incredibly much because he's a weirdo like that. Um, and they used all this stuff to test Tayo to see if you could keep secrets. Uh, and Seiji actually deliberately contradicted himself. Uh, and she is really happy because instead of fighting back he actually focused on cracking the ruse so he actually cracks a little smile and says that he looks forward to working together with Tayo in the future um, and that's that's about it there's a lot where each of them had bet on uh, different things and so they bet the same amount of money and they just kind of trade bills uh, where Seiji had bet 10,000 yen that uh, Tayo would spill the beans and Kyojiro had bet 10,000 yen that Tayo would die. <laughs> and uh, that's it. It's a cool little chapter. I really like this way of introducing uh, this character. It's a very solid introduction for him. So. All right. Let's move on to We Never Learned. Question 132. On the dusky riverbank, she finally runs to the pizza bet. Mm-hmm. So uh, we start this chapter with Ruka uh, and uh she mm-hmm. is walking the dog, the dog and she is 
walking by, she passes by Uega, and he's, you know, he's busy being hurt with his leg, but he's still fucking doing his studying, because he's a good guy. But it's the dog that, you know, found him, and was ultimately the cause of his accident, but also saved his life then, too, by helping people find they're, out. They're like, you really helped us on exam day, and I'm just... I was they say like you really helped us out on exam day. I'm just thinking like no, he didn't. <laughs> he made up for his own causing the problem. Uh, so it looks like Aruka's taking care of him right now. So it's very yeah. nice. And she's like, hey, I you know I hope we find his family, especially since I'm going to be going overseas soon. So the two of them basically are are hanging out, and she's practicing all of her different English to Japanese. And she's like, yeah, I'm not been I'm getting pretty good. And is like, yeah, I guess you really are. And he knows it's like, oh, if you keep this up, you'll be going overseas. Kind of referencing the fact that the better he, you know, Uega is at helping her get better at English, the more concrete it is that she's going to be leaving his life. So it's a little bit of a tinge of sadness there. Kind of distracts him. She spaces out and she like has to wake him up and just be like, you know, hey, you know, we just have to make sure, you know, you're speaking solid. You know, you got an English interview. You got to stay sharp and everything like that. And. They look over because they're staying on a bridge and they notice that the dog has escaped its leash and is hanging out in a boat that just passed by, that just rode by. So they panic, go find another set of boats, immediately start rowing. Yuega's the one rowing and uh, Aruka's like, let me help and falls breast first into him, as you do, uh, apologizes, says, hey, you know, let, let me help row, which... On one hand, I'm like, I mean, this makes the most sense. She's an actual athlete. But at the same time, we know Uega's cut. We know he's shredded. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's got the muscles, too. Or maybe he's just, like, all show muscles. And uh, if you ask him to do anything strenuous, he's, he's like, like, he just falls apart. Uh, so they both think it's about like, how it's a pretty uh, awkward situation that they're in right now. Because they're kind of, like, nestled up against one another. But... They get close enough. Yeah, and they're rushing back and forth against each other, too. Yeah. Yeah. And they get close enough and they realize that it's the two foreigners from like fucking 80 chapters ago. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Uh, the, the 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 people in there are like, hey, uh, you know, it's that good captain again, there, Hans. Like, oh, leave him alone, Damien, for interrupting the date. Like, yes, yes, we didn't want to interrupt them. Let's go. So they start actually like really fucking <laughs> hustling. You may guess to be like, no, wait. Uh he's trying to speak in English. It's not doing too much. Uh, but then Aruka fucking turns on the turbo mode and just starts paddling fast enough that they just shoot straight past them. And she, I do like the joke because Yuiga's like, "What were they? What were they saying?" And Aruka understood it perfectly, so she gets a boost from being like, "They think we're a couple of just." (laughs) So they eventually dock, and they're like a dog. And Yuiga's trying to say like, "Hey, yeah, please give us back our dog." And they're like, we, we don't have a dog. Do you have a dog? No, we have no dog. And Uega starts to worry. He's like, oh, no, did the dog fall? But then uh, Aruka steps in and she's like, no, our dog is this big. He's got shaggy eyebrows and brown and white fur. He's got a funny face. His breath smells kind of. She just goes into a very descriptive description about this dog. And the foreigner's like, 
Ah, yeah, your English is very good, yeah. So you, the handsome man over there is your friend. And they both point over. And there is a bunch of the different, like, lost dog posters. And we see the dog as, uh, uh, you know, has run up to a small child. And is like, oh, hey, it's, you know, it's my family. I found it again. And I think that's supposed to be the kid who constantly comments no, because that's a that the kid who constantly comments on stuff is a boy. This is and this uh, this is a girl with little puff balls. On her but head. they they specified that they noticed this person from before. So I'm not really sure. I don't know. I don't. Anyway, they found that the dog finds its fucking owner again, and is very happy about it. And the core of the chapter is just the fact that. Uega's like, hey, you know, your English is getting a lot better. They go out rowing again. Aruka's really happy about how good her English has gotten. And uh, he says, or she says, rather, I'm glad, but I'm also a little bit sad. And Uega agrees. It is a little sad. And for some reason, I said that with two meanings in my heart. A nice little chapter. Uh, I like chapters that focus on, you know, things developing and instead of doing jokey stuff where we never learn. And although there was quite a bit of jokiness in this chapter, it was really nice to see Iruka. Hey, she's actually gotten really good. Her hard work has paid off. Uh, and also it seems as though this could just be the part of me that's like, Oh, I just really want Iruka to be the girl. Can I please? Cause I like her the most as a romantic partner for him. Um, it seems as though he's starting to realize more the way that he feels about her. Uh, and I don't know. It, obviously, it's a romantic comedy harem series, so it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But it's nice to have you start to gain some more awareness of like, all oh, right, these are girls that I might be romantically interested. So. Yep. Dr. Stone, Z equals 126, three-dimensional stratagem. It's time to get uh, Stormbreaker forged out of the last room of a dying okay, that's enough, 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 enough. Uh, to get through this chapter very quickly, a bunch of people go out in cloaks to go and enact their plan to swipe the spear. Uh, the big guy in the kingdom petrification mistakes him for Moe's wearing the hood. Uh, but immediately Kendra just fights him off. He's like, with this golden spear shining like the sun itself, I will protect us. And he like smashes like the Anubis head's nose off of the guy. So now it's uh, almost completely devoid of any dog features because it's missing ears and nose. Uh, things are going pretty well. Uh, at the start, Ukyo shoots an arrow. Yay. Uh, some of the other guys in the group swing some mirrors around so it looks like they're casting sorcery. And then Moe's like, gestures over to where uh, Yuzuriha and Suika and Amaryllis are all in cloaks. And he's just like, hey, excuse me, make a, make a And so they all go after him and they're just kind of like, eh. And he makes it look like they've knocked him away. <laughs> he's like, it's like a fucking Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan selling match. <laughs> So he says to Curious Summit that they need to uh, use the weapon. So uh, Kiriyasama says to everyone, oh, the master's about to use his power. 
So everyone close your eyes. They all do. And Rusu's like, all right, yes, toss it up right over here. Uh, and Moses thinking to himself, I'm just going to keep right outside the Flash's range, but just close enough to reach the invaders in a single bound. Uh, because you invaders are no fools. You're hoping to stop me with your sorcery. You already showed me how it works in the cave, and it'll only take a single moment and one finger to manipulate that thing with your magic spells. But knowing that, I'll just strike quickly, remove your heads from your bodies as you work your spells. I win. But we get a moment of insight from something that Kirisame had learned earlier, something Ibarra told her about before they all set off to confront with this army. And uh, we see... Not the conversation that happens. We just see a little, you know, him like, you know, muttering something. We don't see the words. But meanwhile, back in the village, there is a woman who observes that Ibarra is wearing an earring. And uh, we see that Ibarra had noticed that suddenly Mose had started wearing an earring. And he recognizes the same earring that Kohaku was wearing. And so now he's wearing Kohaku's transponder radio earring thing. Dun, dun, dun. And he says, what makes this old man the strongest isn't just having an army, but remaining cautious in spite of that. The old man wins. Kirisame throws the weapon. It arcs high up into the air. Senku calls out to activate the drone. Chrome says, we're going to win as Rusui activates the controls on the drone. So what's going to happen? We've got these three different people, all who seem to have different ideas of what's going on. Ibarra has a lot more information than everyone was expecting. I love the twist that he pops up using the same earring that Kohaku had on earlier. So how much of the plans has he been hearing about? So cool stuff. Yeah, um, it's pretty exciting. We're in some real back and forth. And this is, I think, where Inagaki's strength as a uh, writer really kind of shines through when he creates like a dramatic situation like this where, you know... We've been following the hero's plan for so long, it seemed like mm -hmm. it was absolutely unbeatable in the last second. It's like, oh, wait, he's been listening to the plan the entire time now. So how do you react to that? Very exciting. All right. Uh, let's move on to Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 329, Zeldris versus the Demon Lord. Uh, so Zeldris is still inside the dreamscape. The Demon Lord's trying to make him hate Melodious. So he's bringing up all these illusions of when Zeldris was younger, Melodius was just like, oh, fuck off. You're lured. I don't like you. You're not my little brother. I don't really think of you that way. And Zeldris I like the I like the faces that fake Meliodas pulls because they're just the most straightforward. Like, I'm bad. Yeah. <laughs> and Zeldris is just like, fuck you with this weak shit. I'm not into your melodrama. And if you're going to do it, at least make a good melodrama. It's a, so, it's a good line. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, hey, you know what? How about. I fucking you'll never understand how it feels for a parent to have to kill a beloved son with his own hands. Oh, <laughs> first world problems. <laughs> and Zeldris is like, I, you don't fucking like me. I never loved you at all either. If you're going to resort to this, then, you know, you're really fucking fallen, dad. So he just kind of taunts him the whole way through, talks about how, hey, you know what? I probably wouldn't be strong enough to beat you he, like in the real world. Like, I'm not strong in as you or Melodious, but then here in the mindscape, I have a chance, and I also have someone who I could never give up, and when you have the power of love, you know, that conquers everything. You, who's never known love in your life, would never understand, monster. The power of love is a mysterious thing. Mm -hmm. But I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of his heart. 
I couldn't remember the next line, so I just wanted to hit the falsetto. Um, the Lehman Lord's pretty sad. He's like, hey, you know, Melodia suffered a crushing defeat, and even though you're the Demon Lord, you're losing to him again. You can see like his his mask is cracked. He's he's looking in some pretty rough shape. And he's like, how dare you suggest the Demon Lord could lose twice? And he, he sings his big sword. But uh, we see that the fight going on outside is not going too well in his favor either. And Zeldris just says, hey, it's because I trust my big brother. So, you know, eat shit, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> he's ominous nebula and just fucking wrecks him. And we see a big explosion happen in the real world. A bunch of blood shoots out of the Demon Lord's mouth. And uh, then the last page is the Demon Lord, who uh, looks significantly less swole than he did a moment ago, as all of the different commandments are kind of erupting out of him in this giant kind of postural darkness thing. We also see that Gelda has uh, somehow been thrown out of uh, Zotris as well, and she's calling out for him, mm-hmm. so... What's going to happen? Hmm. All right. The Promised Neverland. Chapter 155. Resurrection. So, uh, this is kind of gross. (laughs) We see uh, two different things happen. The first uh, scene is uh, the group outside dealing with the demons who are rampaging and have been poisoned and stuff like that. Aishi is sniping some of them. Uh, Also, Dawn and Gilda are trying to help, and they're like, how do we, you know, stop them without killing them? And they're like, I mean, Aishi's doing a really good job of it, but uh, they're they're trying. Um, And also, they're regenerating really quickly, so... Uh, Gilda thinks to herself that, yes, the evil blood can return to generate demons back to the humanoid form. So maybe it could nullify the poison, too. But uh, they're like, but how do we make them drink the blood? And so <laughs> Sonju's just like, nah, just cuts his own arm off, just throws it in one of their mouths. He's like, this is the fast way to find out. <laughs> and it eats it and uh, it falls down. And uh, it's like, All right, it, that worked. So Sonju grows his arm back, Mujika approaches uh, some of the random demons and is like, here, drink some of this. It will return everyone to normal. You will never degenerate again. And uh, some of the children, demon churches, start doing so. Hooray. Uh, we cut back to where Norman and everyone are. The queen, of course, had lurched back up despite the top half of her head being ripped off and her core being destroyed. And uh, she's descending on Norman, but Sislo Gets in the way. Ah, oh, how could it possibly have happened? The thing that we predicted last week. He got pushed out of the way. Cislo gets uh, his leg really messed up. I think that it's almost entirely severed, but it's kind of hard to tell because of the amount of blood that uh, is covering up his stump. Uh, oh, yeah, there it is. She actually is eating his leg. So yeah, there it is. she's just fucking hot dog. And it, oh, oh. So as a result of this, you know, the demon queen is able to recover somewhat because she's able to eat some flesh uh, and she starts to um, swell up all weirdly uh, as they're trying to tend to Sislo's horrible wound. Uh, as Ray's just like, she looks kind of weird. Uh, and her body explodes, basically. Not like literally explodes, but it just kind of expands outward really quickly in a bunch of different directions. Uh, a whole bunch of limbs grow out, grab all of the corpses in the entire room and start 
pulling them in and eating them. Uh, and they're like, oh, God, even the ones that are contaminated with poison, she's just eating them. and She's just getting bigger and bigger. Not just that. But what is that? Is that also a demon? Because her body's shape is changing more and more. Uh, and uh, so they're wondering if it's the fact that her cells are losing control because of the regeneration and poison together. Norman wonders what the hell is going on because she is certain that he destroyed the queen's core. Uh, so they're like, what if she doesn't die even if you destroy her core? Which is a lie delivered by Ray, and I feel as though it should be like something way stupider. So they're like, what if she doesn't die even if you kill her? <laughs> what about if you make her dead? Does she die then? <laughs> what if she dies? Would she die? <laughs> but if I murder her, can she still live? Uh, so they wonder if it's possible that the royal family actually have multiple cores within their bodies so that they're just basically even more impossible to kill. So Norman orders uh, Vincent to take Cicelo and everyone to the base. He will stay with Zazie to try and finish off the queen. And so they set off. Zazie uh, takes up his swords and they're, they try to they turn to face uh, her. Um, Ray and... Um, Emma, stay behind, too, because they can help, right? Yeah, sure. Um, then. Freaking. <laughs> OK, so. A whole bunch of faces start appearing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is actually a really good Halloween chapter, I guess. Because there's just entire masses of faces, all with different individual voices uh, calling out for different people. Some of them calling out for Emma and Ray and Norman, in fact, including uh, Crone. I think that was her name, right? Yep. K-R-O-N-E. Uh, so Emma wonders if it's all the people the queen has eaten until this time, which would mean that we would have confirmation of who actually ate her. Uh, so they're wondering what the hell is happening, what they're supposed to do. Um, and then... The entire mass splits apart and something that looks much more like the original queen's body steps out complete with a very fanciful dress and heels. But she has no face. <sighs> dun, dun, dun. And we don't get a chapter next week. So nope. we don't get a chapter for most series next week, don't we? I guess it's because uh, the magazine is being delayed until after we would normally do it. It's not until next Friday that stuff is coming out. Yeah, I assume. So that means there's nothing coming out this week, basically. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Black Clover then, Nick. Chapter 225, The Heart Kingdom, which Hang is... On. Well, there's a bunch of series that are coming out the 27th. So I guess it's just some series aren't showing up in the magazine next week. Maybe some are just taking a week off. It sounds like I think the, Promise Neverland is taking a week off. Okay. I think the production probably, I believe, got delayed at some process due to the typhoon. Entirely possible. So I assume that's why there's a delay in Promise Neverland. Like it goes back to schedule the week after that or something like that. I don't know. Um, but all right. Uh, so the Heart Kingdom, uh, our heroes arrived. Uh, they immediately meet Gaja, a spirit guardian 
who will be serving as their guide here, who recognizes Mimosa and is like, hey, good to see you. Here, take this... Uh, have some juice. <laughs> yeah, take this fanciful juice. I have juice magic. As uh, we will begin to transport you, and a giant staircase of water appears that then, they, like... They actually make a note that the juice gets more delicious if you run magic through it. Mm-hmm. So... No, I was like, oh, this is delicious. And that's like, please make mine tasty, too. <laughs> uh, so the queen has actually made this this pathway of water for them. And Ast is really surprised. Like, wow, the queen with just one magic spell did this. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, the queen's mana kind of runs across the entire country. She's very, very strong. We saw a bunch of butterflies are like flocking to them and everything like that. Everyone's like, wow, what a great kingdom. This is awesome. They note that it's been 12,000 years since the country was founded. And there's always sort of been an acting priestess that functions as a queen who makes a pledge with the water spirit that is used to protect the kingdom. And presumably that's the giant water-like creature we saw hovering behind the queen in the last chapter. Because that seems to be what we see in this chapter as well. And they say, hey, you know, kind of encourage this kingdom and how it's functioned. So, you know, everyone's impressed. That they're like, wow, a single queen governs everything here through peaceful methods. And he's like, yes, that is how it's been till now. But no one really knows what the future may hold. And so we oink. <laughs> and Asta just gets <laughs> teleported away. And everyone's like, what the fuck, Gadget? Well, he's, he's being carried away in water. Yeah, a wa- like a water sphere or encircles him and just starts <laughs> splashes him away. And everyone's like, what the fuck, Gaja? And he's like, eh, it's for peace. <laughs> Peaceful. <laughs> so, uh, Mimosa and Noel are like, well, we're going after him. So, uh, Fenrir uses a new technique, at least I don't recall him using this one before. Uh, well, they always fucking make up new ones. Called Fallen Angel's Wing Beat, where he basically uses his spatial magic to boost the two of them forward. Uh, as he is going to follow along afterwards. But Gaja is immediately already behind them. So he's like, uh-oh. Yoink. Uh, Noel saves him by kind of yeah. covering him in a water sphere that he just splashes out the other side on. Uh, and everyone's like, well, we don't know what you're trying to do here. And you know, Noel activates her Valkyrie mode. She's like, I'm a royal. And if you think you're messing with my companions, then you're, you know, you're get messed up. Noel notably observes uh, Gaja floating in the air. And he's like, is he doing that without using magic? So, mm-hmm. uh, and they're like, "Wow, uh, Noel specifically, or sorry, Gotcha mentions at one point that he's like, oh, Finral, your magic's about third stage or so.' But when he sees Noel's magic, he says, "Ooh, that magic is rare and powerful, definitely first stage." And he says, "Well, if that's what you're gonna do, then I will also deal with you in interest." And a bunch of magic runes start surrounding him. Also, I don't know if it's supposed to be worth noting his book was really plain before but once he uses his magic it actually becomes excessively ornate so i don't know if tabata maybe just didn't want to draw all the intricacies on the panel a couple pages before but maybe it's also tied to how his mana or his spell works as to get yeah as gets transported down a gigantic hole and uh, is greeted by a water creature in armor with a sword who says, ah, I've been waiting for you, devil, for the sake of my country. Uh, two things. Okay. One, um, Nero was on Asta's head when he got sucked into the sea dragon uh, thing. But when Asta lands at the end of the chapter, we don't really see her there. 
So I don't know if she fell off at some point during the transportation or if it's just the ankle. So you can't tell if she's there or not. Two, I have to wonder, uh, especially now that we get another look at this uh, water armor servant of the Queen's, um, because a big deal was made when uh, Noelle unleashed her Valkyrie armor thing that it was the same technique that her mother used. And uh, so I have to wonder if there is some connection there. I feel uh, like there has to be because it feels yeah. way too significant yeah. for a water kingdom with a specific water mage and Noelle is there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's a pretty good chapter, actually. So. Yeah, I didn't mind it. One Piece, Chapter 959, Samurai. Uh, we basically get a montage for about the first half of this chapter uh, that showed stuff before the plan apparently went to shit. Um, not a whole lot significant to make note of, but there are some little moments like um, uh, Frankie's you know, shipmaking group managed to get a whole bunch of stuff ready so that they would actually be able to transport up to 5,000 people. And their army did get to about 4,200. So I guess Frankie won that bet. Uh, we also see Luffy and Chopper and Brooke playing dress up, but non samurai armor that will be useless to all of them. Uh, but Hey, they look cool. So, mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sanji kind of like jokes with Zoro and he's just like, hey, why don't you try putting some of that stuff on? Zoro's like, it'll slow me down. And Sanji's like, that's why your bounty is lower. So Zoro swings his sword at Uzama to cut off like the part of the coast that Sanji's standing on. <laughs> so. Yay. I also like that it's the same area that he had cut off before. So you see the bit that had already fallen off is flat. And so now he just cut off another strip of the land. Uh, we get see a bit of a conversation taking place between a bunch of the minks, uh, along with Robin and Nami, because uh, they make note of the fact that the day of the invasion is going to be a full moon. But they think that the, cloud, the sky is going to be so covered over with clouds that they're not going to be able to transform. And Nami's like, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if all the minks could transform like Carrot and they'd be a huge force on our side. But Wanda says, turning Sulong depends on the luck of the moment. What's more important is just that the Cat Viper and the Guardians arrive here in time. Then, probably the most important moment of the entire chapter, something that I had not thought of, but Luffy did. Therefore, Luffy is smarter than me. Um, Luffy points out the fact that Big Mom arrived on the island, but Jimbei's not here. And of course, Jimbei had stayed behind to hold off Big Mom so that uh, Luffy and the others could escape before. So how the hell has Big Mom arrived if Jinbei is, you know, not dead, basically? Uh-huh. But Luffy is determined that he's alive and that he will come uh, because he promised that he would join the Straw Hats. So uh, then we see uh, some of the uh, Shogun's men approach a village, specifically uh, Abisu Town, with all of the smiling, laughing people and stuff. An Oatster approaches, uh, that's not a piece of town, my mistake. Different town. Anyway, a piece of town outside of the flower towns. One of the towns. There's too many places in this goddamn kingdom. Uh, and the lion stomached guy, Hold'em, from way back uh, before that Luffy took out really easily, is there to basically sheriff and nodding him them a little bit. Uh, but also they're investigating, they're saying that the samurai are preparing for a big raid. Oatsru, Kinemon's wife, 
basically tries to distract them. She's like, I okay, okay, I'll, I'll make sure that they they don't find you, Kinemon. You've got to bring back uh, those the Kazuki days. Um, but some of the people in the village say, like, Otsuru, you don't sacrifice yourself to cover for us. It's all right. Our dream of stuffing ourselves full before we die has been fulfilled. And she reacts with shock as Holden looks down at them. But then we cut ahead to not two days before the battle, but the night before the battle. And uh, we essentially see that under uh, Orochi's instruction, um, all of the pathways and bridges uh, and such that could have led to the Tokage port are getting firebombed. In fact, some of the animal men spot the Thousand Sunny hiding in a cave and they firebomb that too. Wah! Uh, and they firebomb all the ships. And so Orochi is just like, I haven't seen any of the samurai for myself, but we're to believe they flew here from 20 years in the past from that burning castle. Hard to believe without seeing their heads in person. Hard to believe without even, hard to believe even with seeing them, I imagine. So it's hard enough to get my vast to believe the story. And then that idiot Yasuya had to go and make it worse. He made out to be a joke, but the intel is solid. Consider my words to be nonsense at your own peril. I have the power to act upon them. If I cut off all the routes to Tokage Port, what will you do then? 4,000 men? Very impressive, but not one of them will arrive here. Hear me, Akazaya ghosts. You will taste the despair of being utterly alone in the world. You will not even have the chance to attempt your revenge. And then finally, we cut to the present, the same scene that we had left off on last chapter with all of the Akazaya reacting to their fleet, not being there not being able to get in contact with anyone. Uh, and Momonosuke is shouting out to all of them as they're still trying to set off on their little canoe to get out to sea, saying that this is suicide, that they've got to try and wait for another chance. But Kinemon says that the next opportunity that they could they would have would not be for another year. So they can't stay in hiding any longer, uh, especially because their control will be revealed momentarily and Kaido will just send out his army and hunt down the rebels. And so they can't wait any longer. They've got to do this. Uh, and also they have a responsibility to do this because of all the people in Okabori town who believed in their plan, took responsibility for their crimes. The village was burnt to the ground. My wife was among them. So apparently that's how that village uh, scene played out in the previous flashback. So he begs Momonosuke to let them do this because otherwise they would flee and just be further ashamed. And Momonosuke is like, well, what happens to me then? And they're like, you need to li live. You need to find Lady Hiyori. And Momonosuke is like, no, you can't do this. Kinemon says, your Lord Father started out alone too. If we hadn't come across Lord Odin, we would never have been proper samurai. We were all untested youth, which is why to the very last moment, we wish to be Lord Odin Samurai. And then we get a flashback to 39 years ago in the flower capital as Kazuki Odin returns from his excursion. And there's a very weird line as he approaches of some guy saying, hide your daughters, hide your wives. Which is like, okay. <laughs> Hey, he's 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 a he's a big tough ladies dude. man. Yeah, look at that. Doesn't look like he's wearing pants. So Hairy legs and yeah. those sandals. Yeah, so he's 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 going to seduce them all with his legs. Yeah. I the like point this. is that we're going to get a flashback of Odin's return 
Yeah, so. and this is right about the right time for it, I think. We're in this third act. This is to give us the final piece of context for all of everything in this series, or for this arc. And uh, I'm really excited. I, I really like how this chapter went down. I like that we got all these different sort of elements there. Everything looks like it's at its worst for our heroes, but we do know there's hope out there. As I mentioned, Jinbei's out there somewhere. Uh, we know he's going to show up in some fashion here. Um, we know that like all our characters are kind of trying to do things. Um, I like that there was just a moment where Sanji jokes with Zoro and you see him cut another giant chunk of the, the island off in anger. Um, it, it's very cool. It's getting me super excited. I'm really excited to see this flashback because, you know, this is sort of Oda's strong point is usually making really compelling, really engaging stories about these places. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Skypea, but the moment you get the flashback, you're like, oh, shit, everything falls into place. And now I care about this place and I want to see Skypea freed from the, like the tyranny of this god. So I'm thinking that's going to be the same thing here. Where we're like, oh, now I really want to see Orochi brought down. It's going to be interesting uh, to see things play out. I admit that I'm kind of pissed off. It's like, oh, now you're doing a flashback right on this big cliffhanger and. We still haven't had that whole thing. What happened outside of Wano and stuff like that? But it's like that's that's one piece. Here's a little little dangling, dangling. You gotta wait for it now. Remember the time we had a character wind up to punch, and there was like a six chapter backstory before the character punched them. God, fucking, that's still one of the greatest moments of the series. Um, all right, let's uh do MVPs. Yes, let's uh, wrap things up now. Thank you guys for joining us for the manga recap. Uh, no, we're not covering Shokugeki no Sanji. No, it, it was. Well, I we, don't even remember the, when that actually ran. I was going to say, like wasn't a, that back when the magazine was still around? Yeah, so I think that that was already in uh, the magazine. And so I think they just put the the one shot out separately because that's, you know, Shonen Jump works differently now. Yeah. So it wasn't actually a new release. It was like from the archive. Yeah. Uh, so for my chapter of the week, I am giving it or my yeah chapter of the week. I'm going to give it to One Piece because like I said I'm super excited about this chapter. I'm really really excited to see where this is going to go, and I like all the build up here. Like I'm I'm more excited for One Piece than I've been probably in a while. There were a lot of good chapters this week. Now that I think about it, uh, I am going to give mine to My Hero Academia. Uh, I know that it was not a very eventful chapter, but it was probably the one that really took me uh, most by surprise, except for the big Ibarra twist uh, in Dr. Stone. I just really liked seeing the way that Endeavor and Todoroki and Bakugo have, you know, gone through some changes and are trying to get better. It's really weird that you have that many characters get focused on in a chapter and you're like, huh, Deku has evolved the least since we last checked on him. <laughs> Uh, and my MVP, I'm going to give to Yor from uh, Spy Family. I thought it was a really fun yeah. chapter for her. I loved her faces. I loved just how exaggerated everything got. I thought she was really, really funny this week. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess that kind of gave me the biggest uh, the biggest reminder, I guess you should say, mm. of, of how amusing she was. I'm going to give mine to Aruka. I really liked uh, not just, you know, 
seeing her acting silly and stuff like that. But it was surprising and really cool to see her just have a very straightforward conversational English thing in the heat of a moment. And it's like, hey, all that hard work of hers has really paid off and she's going to actually be able to follow this dream of hers. And then, of course, the focus on that's actually a bittersweet thing because of, you know, the evolving relationship between herself and Yuiga and how her going away is going to affect that. Uh, so it's really cool. Uh, so I'll note that the audience picked uh, Spy Family as their favorite chapter this week. And it was a good chapter. We won't know who this is until next week. Uh, but Reze from Chainsaw Man won character of the week. So I don't know if one of two things is going to happen here. Either once I'm caught up next week, I'm going to be like, all right, I get why everyone likes Chainsaw Man and I can enjoy little parts of it. Or I'm going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? Because <laughs> it keeps on coming in like with this like, oh, favorite chapter and all oh, favorite favorite uh, character stuff like that. And, and I know right now I don't have conscious for it. I'm not going to judge or anything like that. But once I do, one of the two reactions is going to happen. And uh, so we'll see. <laughs> All right, stay tuned for next week where Nick decides if he likes Chainsaw Man or not. It's gonna, hey, you're gonna want to tune in for that because we are going to be adding Chainsaw Man to the recap, regardless of how I feel about it this uh-huh. time. So I'm stuck with this now, uh, but uh, we're gonna have a you know look back at the previous couple dozen chapters and we'll see how it comes out. All right. That's going to do everyone for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you guys for joining us this week here on twitch.tv slash royalty, smashcast.tv slash royalty, where we record the show each Wednesday, usually around 7.30 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can follow us on Twitter, at WMR Podcast, at Rolloti, at Nick F. Time, at Thor, God of Thunder. Um, I think it's just at Thor. At, at <laughs> at Stormbreaker, made Storm, at Stormbreaker, forged in, in the last year of a dying star, a space station with a giant Peter Dinklage. Don't know how we managed to get. They I got over the fifteen character limit for the God of Thunder. They don't. Know? They don't let me use the entire thing on Twitter, so that's why Thor's moved to Mastodon. <laughs> uh, me and <laughs> two other. Twitch streamers are the big people over on Mastodon, so make sure you get over there and read our tusks or whatever the fuck they call posts over on Mastodon. I've heard heard good things about Mastodon, but I don't think it's going to give you as wide an audience. But anyway, (laughs) uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can also check us out on YouTube, weeklymongerecap.podbean.com, and on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, leave a rating, comment, subscription, and all that stuff is good for the algorithm. Helps us to conquer the hobby section, defeat the woodworkers sitting on their throne of wood and lies. Wood and lies and wooden lies. There's monsters. Bastards. Uh where was I? Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Special thanks goes out to Ninja X3i for, the, for maintaining the Google Doc. You can go onto our Discord server and check all that stuff out. You can also just, you know, have conversations about manga and other general things. Uh, I don't know all the conversations that go on there. There are a lot of them. Anyway. Uh, special thanks to Infamous Planet for the stuff that you do. Steve Manor, Tower Card Artist, and uh, Winsley Dale Cheddar, and Milo Jack Stilitz for the opening sequence of Week Manga Recap. Indeed. That's it. That's Next it. time we'll Let's we'll go. talk about Chainsaw Man for for our super Halloween catch up. 
manga retrospective. And now, now that my work here is done on this podcast, I shall now use the Rainbow Bridge to return to Asgard and claim my rightful place on the throne. Goodbye, Nicholas! That's the uh, lightning calling him up, by the way. Yes. You guys can't see it, but there's definitely lightning calling him up. He's in Asgard now. He's not there anymore. I, you can hear me from Asgard! I'm shouting all the way from Asgard! Did it it also looks like he's there. It, it also looks like he's there, but he's not there. He's, yeah, he's, no. he's in Asgard now. Nope, you can't see me! Did, did it leave a mark? Goodbye! Yes, yes. I might return next year! Depending on costume availability during the month of October.